Well, greetings and welcome everyone to another episode of Sunrise Apologetics and doing something a little different this time. I'm recording both video and audio, so if you're watching this on YouTube, you'll get to see my ugly mug, and if you are listening on the podcast, then you are spared that unfortunate uh, uh, issue of having to look at me. Um, I wanted to talk about something today that has been in my heart for a long time, and I'm sure there are some who will say that, oh, you're just bringing this up because, you know, somebody else did or something like that. But but for the longest time, um, I have been battling the cultural altar call. And what I mean by the cultural altar call is in my church, with with my pastor and myself as I preach to students, I do not do an invitation that is designed to get emotion stirred and children to run down to the front and do something that I've told them to do and then pass it off as authentic Christian conversion. My conscience won't let me do that. My, my Bible, as I best understand it, will not let me do that. And I cannot understand sometimes people who, who want so badly to have an altar call or to have the, even even worse in my mind, the sinner's prayer, a prayer that you cannot find in the text of God's word. A prayer that you cannot find in the text of scripture is never a prayer that I personally am going to lead someone to pray for their salvation. I can't do it. I won't do it. I, I, I can't fathom the, the impossibility of, of, of saying a prayer and this person's automatically saved just because they said some words. Where would we ever see something like that in Scripture? We don't. In fact, what we see over and over again is what I do and what my pastor does and what our church does, which is the call to repentance and belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. This can look like an altar call. You can play music during it. Uh, I love worship. I love God's people being uh, having their hearts and, yes, emotions stirred to, toward the Lord in worship. And you can even have the preacher stand down front. And as people come up and they're seeking God and, and pray with him, these are all fine. These are all wonderful things. I am not saying anything against an altar call in terms of the action of it. It is a great thing to do. Calling people to repent and believe in Jesus Christ is the main mission of a church. And it's something that I believe out of Scripture I must do at all times to every creature, to everyone. This is what we must do is glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. But what I will not do, I will not do something designed to get people to come to the front simply for the physical showing of their bodies moving to the front. I cannot express how many times I have been at a summer camp, at a youth rally, at a retreat, where I have seen a, a wonderfully gifted, called, talented man of God preaching a sermon and reach a natural conclusion in the sermon where I want to either pray because I've been convicted or I want to worship God because I've been encouraged, often both, but instead that stops and this other 
part of the sermon starts, this other thing begins where suddenly a different song comes on and sometimes the band has magically appeared behind the speaker and he is standing there and he is just saying, now I know some of you out there and and, need God and, and need Jesus and I want you to bow your heads and I want you to, you know, every, no one's looking. You know, if you just want to get saved tonight, if you're afraid of hell, then look up at me. And especially at a summer camp where kids who have been playing paintball and swimming all week, they're exhausted. And they're, they're already broken down to the point where if you tell me to do something, I'm going to do it. And yeah, they don't want to go to hell. You've scared them with fire and brimstone and stories. And so they go, yeah. I want, I want that. I want to go to heaven. But you haven't called them to Jesus Christ. You've called them out of hell. You've called them out of heaven uh, to, to go to heaven. You've called them away from something scary, not out of true repentance for their sin. And this is what frightens me, folks. So I, uh, when I say I'm against the cultural altar call, I am against the thing that is just a tradition that we just have to do because we want to see a lot of kids or a lot of people come down. We want to see some crying at the altar. We want to see some people, you know, making it right with God. Well, we don't look into their hearts and know whether they've made it right with God or not. That is between them and the Lord. And I think that's part of the issue. You got a lot of guys, preacher boys walking around with notches, okay? Notches saying, hey, look how many I've saved. I mean, there are even fundamentalists who use the term soul winning. And I cannot fathom the heresy of believing that I'm the one who's winning souls. And they might say, oh, 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 it's not really me, it's God. But do they believe it? I would question it. Do they believe that it's actually God who's winning souls? I wonder. I truly do. And I don't say that to be mean or be a jerk or, you know, or what I'm commonly labeled as, which is Calvinist which is a straw man, because most people who call me that have never studied Calvin nor what he believes. I'm not a Calvinist. I have not read all of Calvin. In fact, I think I've only read uh, the many of the sermons, the Institutes, um, and several other things. I, I, I have never been interested in labeling myself as a Calvinist. What I'm interested in is, is being labeled as a Christian, which I think is a far more impressive title, and it's a far more responsible title. It's a title that doesn't just bring with it, uh, you know, whatever John Calvin says, I believe. No, whatever Christ says, I believe. And so what I'd like to do is just for a few moments, I want to sh- uh, reveal a couple things here. Number one, the sinner's prayer. I am totally and 100% for the altar call, calling people to repent and believe in Jesus Christ, take them to Romans you know, 10, take them to, take them to John 3.16, whatever. Great, do it. Preach your heart out. Tell them to come to Jesus. I do the same thing. But I will never, and I have never, led someone in a prayer that I cannot find in God's word and then use that prayer to proclaim to them, you're now saved. I've never done it. I can't do it. Because it's not biblical, folks. I'm sorry, but it's just not. And I know this hurts some of the traditions. I have traditions that I like that get pricked sometimes by, by, by great preachers and apologists that I listen to, um, of which I do not consider myself in their category at all. Um, I get pricked all the time, and it's good for me. The sinner's prayer is not salvation. 
And it's so unfortunate that that we have this this cultural process that started with Charles Finney in the 1800s. Charles Finney leading uh, revivals through the Second Great Awakening. He's in New York. He's preaching. He's he's setting all these things up. And Charles Finney is the one who kind of develops this idea of the altar call uh, with his his anxious seat. The place where the the Christian could sit, the one who was kind of, uh, you know, uh, the Christians could sit around the anxious seat, and the one who's kind of thinking about, you know, getting saved or, or calling upon God, they're sitting in the anxious seat, and everyone's praying for them, and we're trying to get them to come to God. Now, I don't quite have an issue with the the the, the idea there, of having a seat for someone who's seeking God and having Christians praying for him. What I do have a problem with is what that has turned into, which is you have to get saved this way. And even though we can't find this process of altar call and sinner's prayer anywhere in scripture, this is the way you get saved. I mean, folks, when the early Christians are fleeing Jerusalem because of Roman persecution, they didn't have church buildings, much less altars. The Jews haven't had an altar since 70 AD when the Romans burnt the temple to the ground. Well, I think the Jews started the fire, actually, if you read Josephus. But, but anyway, it burnt to the ground, and they haven't had an altar. So what altar are we supposed to go to? In fact, I think Jesus tells us there's an altar of the heart. Hebrews says that he went in the high priest one final time, and no longer do we have to offer sacrifice, physical sacrifices for sin. Now we offer ourselves. We are the altar, and it's our lives that get sacrificed. And when God comes down to the new mercy seat of the heart and he dwells with us, no longer is it only in the flesh, it is now in the spirit. And I don't want us to stay with just doing what Charles Finney did. I don't even want you to do what Josh Thomas does. I want you to do what Jesus does. And so let's take a, just a quick uh, brief look here, very quickly. The sinner's prayer, most commonly used, is something like this. So you get the person who's been preached to, and whether or not the preacher has done an effective sermon where he's talked about uh, uh, repentance, where he's talked about belief, whether he's talked about grace, or maybe he's talked about hell and he's, he's, he's just terrified these people into, you know, oh, you're going to go to hell if you don't do what I say right now. We get them to this point, and we say, okay, say, you know, close your eyes. From the bottom of your heart, repeat after me. And they say something like, dear Jesus, I know that I am a sinner, and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I turn from my sins and invite you to come into my heart and life. I want to trust you and follow you as my Lord and Savior, in your name, amen. Now, here's where it gets a little tricky. There's nothing in that prayer that's commonly used as a sinner's prayer that is heretical. There are all things in that little prayer that I could go into Scripture and find. Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner, Romans 3, none good, no, not one. Um, I ask for your forgiveness, we're supposed to. Ask for the Lord's forgiveness, uh, Romans 9 um, and, and 10. I believe you died for my sins, John three sixteen. Whoever should believeth on him have everlasting life, Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth, believe in your heart. I turn from my sins. So to repent is the Greek word metanoia, to, to change your mind, to turn away from sin and invite you 
Jesus to come into my heart. Now, this is where the big sticking point is. Who actuates salvation? Do we or do or, or does God? Do we choose God or does he choose us? But see, that argument is often so, so argued without scripture. And so I'd like to point you to just a, a, a few scriptures uh, here very quickly. John chapter 3, not verse 16, but in verse 3, Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus and he says, truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So we know we need to be saved. Nicodemus, thinking fleshly, says, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus says, truly I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. The Spirit blows where it wishes. And being a monotheistic Trinitarian, I believe the Spirit is God. He's not somehow removed from God the Father. He's not somehow doing something different than what Jesus is saying. He is God as a part of the Trinity, the third person in the Trinity, and He is saving people as He wishes. And immediately, you know, the chorus of people, you don't believe people, you know, people can be saved. You don't believe everybody can be saved. No, I don't believe everybody's going to be saved because there are people I know of in my own life who have rejected God and then died. Now, maybe God worked a miracle on the deathbed in the moment, the, the, the split second of death. But by all accounts, are we really going to argue that Stalin and Hitler and Jeffrey Dahmer and the greatest evil that we can think of in history, that they're in heaven with God? No. I do believe anyone can be saved. Revelation 4 and 5 tell me so. When the Lamb comes in, in Revelation it says, out of every tribe and tongue and people, I will bring my people to myself. Folks, there's, there's so many straw men arguments put up to keep the tradition that's been going on in our Southern Baptist churches for over 100 years, and we just want it to stay that way. There are things that I love about tradition. And as I get older, there's things I'm going to have to be mindful of that the next group after me doing something wonderful for God, but it's not the way I would do it. It's not how I've been doing it. And I don't like it. I can't label them in sin. And I certainly can't use it as a reason to break fellowship. So if the wind blows where it wishes, what about us? What is our responsibility? Well, Jesus models it for us in Mark chapter 1. It says that Jesus begins his ministry in verse 14. After John the Baptist was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. Metanoia, change. Repent and believe the gospel. I mean, this is it. This is all he said. No sinner's prayer. No altar call services. This, the, Jesus is walking around the hills of Galilee. And the people he's speaking to, many of them, certainly we would call uneducated, some even illiterate, 
And this is what Jesus felt was good enough for them. Repent and believe for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And if this was good enough for Jesus in his gospel evangelism to everyone, Jesus didn't take a select group here. He takes a select group of disciples. But he's just preaching in the open air to everyone. And what does he preach? Repent and believe. Why didn't Jesus, if the sinner's prayer is how you get saved, and trust me, there are weak moments when I wish it was because I would just be getting all kinds of people saved. If that was the way to do it, why didn't he do it there? Why didn't he do it in Luke 23 when he's sitting on the cross and, and, and the, 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 uh, the other thief uh, is sitting there and the thief turns from his own sin looks at the criminal who's railing against Jesus in Luke 23, 40, and, and rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man, this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Truly, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Paradiso, the place of future happiness. But look what the thief did. He, he understands that he is a sinner. And now it's starting to sound like the sinner's prayer, right? Do you not fear God since we are under a sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. I am getting what I deserve. I deserve to be crucified. I deserve to die. But this man, Jesus, this man has done nothing wrong. I'm a sinner. Jesus is God. He's done nothing wrong. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And what does Jesus say? You're going with me. I will remember you. This day, after the, after the moment of your death, you will be with me in paradise. If the sinner's prayer was the way to go, why didn't Jesus do it? And I've heard, I've heard a preacher say, to a group of men that, that Jesus must have led this thief in the sinner's prayer in between the verses. Oh, we so, we so often use the verse, and with many other words he spoke to them and encouraged them. But Second Timothy tells me that Scripture, as breathed out by God, is profitable for doctrine and teaching. The Word of God is enough. Unfortunately, I think that's the problem is that it's not enough for our flesh. It's not enough. And we want more. We want to see it. We want to, we want to take control of it. And Jesus says, no. No, it is me. It is me who is saving people, not you. But what are we supposed to do, though? We're supposed to preach and proclaim this truth. I'm thinking of Romans chapter chapter uh, 10, verse 9, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And this is a simple message. Salvation is not hard to understand. Jesus did not cloak this in mystery. He said, repent of your sin, believe in your heart that I am Lord and you will be saved. Put your faith in me. Put your trust in me, and you will be saved. 
He's also given us the Great Commission, Matthew 28. We're supposed to go forth and make disciples, teaching them and baptizing them of all nations. Everyone. I'm not debating this argument anymore that, oh, if you don't do the sinner's prayer or altar call, you don't believe anybody can get saved. That's wrong. And I'm sorry, but you are misinformed, or at the very least, you're just simply putting up a straw man argument because you don't want to deal with the text. Let us deal with the text. Let us look into Scripture what God says about these things. But let me also say that God has not left us in confusion about salvation after we've been saved. So we're, in terms of evangelism, what does he say in Romans 10? Romans 10, 5, For Moses writes about the righteous that is based on the law, and the person who does the commandment shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend to heaven, that is, bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. What does it say? The word is near you. And in your mouth and in your heart, that is, the word of faith we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. There is no distinction between Jew and Greek. That means anybody. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, I believe that wholeheartedly. And I am so tired of hearing people use this little sinner's prayer and give a kid or a young person or even an elderly person false hope when they can simply say the scripture in verse 13, if you call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. Verse 14, we're commanded to do this, folks. Verse 14, how will they then call on him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they, how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. If you're preaching the gospel, if you're leading people to Christ, you have a responsibility to do it correctly. And correctly is not a made-up prayer that you can't find in God's word correctly sometimes might even be not to say anything yourself correctly might be simply to go to romans and preach to them verse 9 if you confess with your mouth that jesus is lord and believe in your heart now we're talking about a true belief we're not talking about somebody who's faking it faking it to try to get something or get somewhere with the church i've had people all ready to get saved when they wanted gas money People call the church all the time and ask for money for an electric bill. And the next thing they tell me is, you know, I was thinking about going to your church. And not once have they ever shown up. Whereas I have real people, real people who have repented and believed in Christ and have come to the truth of God. And their lives have shown it. See, here's the other problem with the sinner's prayer. I'm going to give you both my experience and I'm going to give you some actual facts from someone much smarter than I am. This is B.B. Warfield talking about uh, 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 his book, Studies in Perfectionism, talking about Charles Finney, talking about the, the, the people who, who were saved under these, these tent revivals. He says, I was often instrumental in bringing Christians under great conviction and into a state of temporary repentance and faith. 
but falling short of urging them to a point where they would become so acquainted with Christ as to abide in him, they would, of course, soon relapse into their former state. Of Finney's contemporaries uh, registered a similar assessment. This is also cited by Warfield. During 10 years, hundreds, perhaps thousands, were annually reported to be converted on all hands. But now it is admitted that real converts are comparatively few. It is declared even by Finney himself that a great body of them are a disgrace to the religion. Even Finney himself said many were not truly converted. Many were not truly saved. And Christian, if you think about it, I, I believe that you will look at your church's ministries. You will look and see that these people who are told this false gospel, and I'm sorry to be harsh, but to me it is a false gospel. Because if you can't find the method of your salvation in God's word, it's a different type of salvation which makes it false. And not the gospel at all. Instead, can you find this? I have been uh, considering this for a long time. That we are given a prayer to pray. In fact, specifically in Matthew chapter 6, we are given a prayer by Jesus. When you pray, pray then like this. That's a pretty good command. You want to you repeat after somebody? Why don't we repeat this prayer? Why don't we ask Jesus in this prayer? Chapter 6 of Matthew, verse 8, Do not be like them, for the Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Why isn't that prayer? Why isn't that one the one to lead them in? Why isn't that prayer the one to pray? Repeat after me. At the very most, you'd have the benefit of saying that I did nothing but speak the words of God to them. Christians, this is my heart on this. I have no interest in stirring up controversy. I have no interest in more debate. My interest is purely in God's word. Because like Warfield and others saw, even Finney himself saw, I have had many students come down. I've had many during my own preaching counseling them afterward. And months, years, they've left the faith. My own ministry. And I'm being transparent with you. It's, 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 it's hurt. It, it hurts. But a great many of the ones I've watched say the sinner's prayer have turned. And it wasn't real. I mean, I've seen some young people and I've chased them for a little while trying to get them to come back and they didn't and they won't. And when I reminded them, but you, you got saved at that one event and they just, nah. 
because emotions were stirred. The mind was stirred, but the spirit hadn't come. And I know it's no fun to have a big evangelical event and have nobody come down and nobody get saved. But sometimes it happens. And sometimes true discipleship makes a convert. The Spirit moves. That person repents of sin, believes in God, confesses with their mouth, and then goes on to live a life that reflects James chapter 2. Verse 14, What good is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and any one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for their body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Let me be clear. You cannot work your way to salvation. But through repentance and belief, and after your salvation, you will be moved by the same Spirit to work in the kingdom of God. We cannot, we cannot look into lives and go, you have no Christian service at all. Your tongue is evil and constantly spread lies and, and, and vile and, and disruption. And you still claim Christianity, but you can only claim it with the same evil mouth. The heart has revealed nothing. There's no fruit of the Spirit at all to see. Folks, once again, I, I don't say any of this to draw controversy. I, I, I hope to, to share my heart with you, to defend Scripture with you. I have absolutely no interest in, in hurting anyone's faith or, or turning anyone from, from evangelism. But what I do hope is that you will go to your word, that you will not believe me now, but you will submit to the word of God. You will submit to the one who can convince you of these things, can, through his word, convince you of his repentance and belief. We've been given a, a most precious message. Beautiful vessels, we are called by the apostle. And God has called us, commissioned us, and sent us out. We must not let him down. We must stay the course always. And that course includes preaching the truth about repentance and belief in Christ. Not just a simple prayer. Not just a simple altar call or a simple service. This is a life. And we cannot have a system where I can bring somebody in off the street, unsaved and unpreached to, and in 45 minutes or less, teach them about God, teach them about their sin, bring them down to the front, get them saved, get them baptized, and back out the door as a true Christian. Jesus spent years. He's still working with us. It takes time. And the true message of God is too important to be caught up and things that we cannot even find in our Bibles. Folks, I hope you've enjoyed this. I hope you have a great day. But please remember always, submit yourself to the Word. And in the Word, you will find the truth of Christ. Thank you. Have a blessed day. Bye-bye.